Welcome into the Wednesday's podcast, Pelicans podcast, that is, presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, alongside my co-host, Jim Offer from Pelicans.com. We continue with our player recaps this week as we're joined by Christian Clark, Pelicans beat writer for the Times Picayune and New Orleans Advocate. And today we focus in on Nicolo Melli and Frank Jackson. I believe uh, Christian Clark's favorite member of the Pelicans is Nicolo Melli. Correct me if I'm wrong, Christian, but I believe you are a big Nicolo Melli fan, correct? Well, I, I think I'm a big fan of Nicola Melli off the court. I think that's kind of why I started doing this bit. He just makes me laugh. Like I saw he was in the bubble in the pool just reading a book on like metaphysics or something. I mean, <laughs> I, I just think he's a pretty funny dude. And, and that's I'm glad you brought that up. So I, I want you to talk to the listeners here about peanut butter Melly time and how much I enjoyed it, but how much other people did not enjoy it, maybe. But I, I'm all in for the, the corny jokes and all that. Where did peanut butter Melly time begin? How did it originate? Oh, man, I think it started in the winter, kind of when he started turning things around. You know, he's he's hitting a bunch of threes and uh, it just came to me at a home game. And it's very divisive, Daniel. I, I didn't realize how divisive it was going to be. I mean, some of the other beat writers, uh, you know, one of them maybe who works for The Athletic, they're pretty mad about it, man. I mean, I can, I can just sense the anger and the vitriol anytime they see it on their timeline. So you got you to gotta be careful who you say it around. I'm sure, you know, I've, I've probably been muted on a couple of people's timelines. So I, I didn't know that it would be this divisive issue. You know, Christian, I was going to ask you uh... – I know it sounds like you don't want to name names here and get into specifics, but um, I wanted to ask you who is more opposed to of the athletic or is it a certain member who of a, how do I put this, a TV station that has four letters in it? Which of those two <laughs> gentlemen is, is more tormented and just absolutely irate by your usage of that? I think it's the former, uh, you know, the person who works for the four letter TV station tolerates it. He puts up with it. I mean, he kind of, he kind of laughs with me a little bit before saying, Hey, that's pretty dumb. You know, the, the <laughs> former just can't stand it at all and wishes it would go away. And I have but- to say, I have to throw in too that one of the reasons I enjoyed it was, and I tried to support you as much as possible on Twitter when you used it was because I just thoroughly enjoyed seeing how, how upset that they were about it. So that was that was really where my my positivity about the phrase came from was really just more of just kind of sticking the knife into those two guys. So I hope you were happy to have uh, someone in your corner, at least on that controversial, highly controversial phrase that you came up with. Yeah, I didn't know I could like effectively troll people by tweeting a stupid pun. But so I'm I'm gonna continue. I'm not stopping anytime soon. I'm glad that we did not mention beat writers like Will Guillory and Andrew Lopez during that. So I appreciate you guys withholding from their names here. Um, let's talk about Nicola Melli a little bit. Uh, interesting case for him, 28 year old rookie Christian, um, who's been playing overseas. Obviously known for his three point shooting. From just from a basketball standpoint, how tough is it for a guy to one be a 28 year old rookie, but also being used to playing with different rules overseas and adjusting to a different style of play, basically, in the NBA in his first year. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, I think he was, like, the fourth or fifth oldest player to ever play in the Rising Stars game. is a very unique situation. I mean, I think the thing the Pelicans stressed all season was you can't be hesitant about letting it fly. Like, I think, you know, Melly was taking two, two-and-a-half threes per game. The Pelicans – probably would have wished that that number would have been a little higher. Um, you know, I think when, when Nicole 
did step in and shoot it with confidence. He showed he could knock it down. Um, but yeah, I mean, they really, the, whole, the big thing this year was, hey, uh, you know, be more selfish, actually. Like, don't be self-conscious when you, when you miss two or three in a row. Was that his biggest, I guess, thing that he needed to improve on just based on the fact that he wasn't a volume shooter overseas and now they're actually telling him to shoot and they knew what kind of shooter he was, but it more was just getting up those shots, even if he, you know, was slightly open or really wide open, I guess, was that his biggest thing that maybe will make him be an effective player in the NBA is just having him shoot as much as he can. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious what that three-point percentage looks like next season. You know, he's at 33-and-a-half this year. I mean, if you just look at his numbers in Europe, what he did, you know, basically in a decade over there, it was around 37-38, so it was considerably higher than Europe. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that number, you know, with the Pelicans creeps back up next year, now that he's had a, a year to kind of get acclimated to, to NBA athleticism. And I think the other thing with him, too, is, I mean, he was signed – to play a lot of his minutes next to Zion Williamson. And that just, that just didn't happen because Zion wasn't on the court as much. So I think that could help him, you know, quite a bit, maybe being out there on the floor with Zion more next season. You know, um, you mentioned that he was the fourth or fifth oldest player to appear in the Rising Stars. I remember hearing that fact right around that time in February when the game was played. And I was curious of how there possibly could have been that many other guys that were older than him that played in the rising stars. I was trying to think of some of the names was Pablo Prigioni. Wasn't he like 35 or something like that when he came into the NBA? So there, yeah. I, I, it was just funny to me to think that there could be that many guys that were older than 28 that played in the rising stars game. But I don't, I'm not sure if you know any of the names on that list. I think it was all pretty much euros who had just, you know, yeah. come over after a period of time. Like, I think Pero Antich was, was on the list, but yeah, I think yep. it was, I'd have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting list of that guys. Sure. You know, one of the things that you mentioned too, that I thought was really interesting. And I think the fans had kind of a, a little bit of a feel for this from the interviews that Nico did as far as how funny he was. I remember hearing before the season from Trajan Langdon and other people who knew a lot about his background and obviously had talked to him a lot. Darius Miller played with him in Germany and said, told me, you know, he's a great guy. He's really funny, but we didn't really know that much about him. And it's, it's so hard to quantify stuff like that when you're trying to preview the season and you haven't met the guy before, but um, how much do you think that kind of his self, his sense of humor, the way he's like very self-deprecating was kind of um, an, an intangible that helped the team as far as like his calming presence. It just seemed like, He's one of those guys, people that you just like having around, and, and I think that adds a lot maybe when you're going through a 13-game losing streak and some of the adversity that they had this year. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's going to lug an espresso maker into the bubble, I have tremendous respect for, first of all. Um, but more to your point, I mean, you know, things were, were not going great for him, um, you know, early, middle part of the season, and I think he did just keep a really good attitude during that time. Like his teammates will tell you that he was still, you know, getting all of his work in, you know, still rooting for his teammates. And I think little stuff like that does make, does make a pretty big difference behind the scenes. I mean, I think he really is, you know, a, a, a true professional um, and, and someone, you know, young multiple guys in this roster can look at as, as like an example of even when things might not be going my way, like here's how I should behave and all that. Let's talk about Frank Jackson a little bit. He's another guy that, um, has had a kind of interesting ride for the Pelicans um, since the Pelicans drafted him in the second round a few years ago. 
Um, where did you see growth from Frank Jackson this year? Um, I know Jim's going to touch on his play in the bubble, but um, I know it's been also tough with injuries and being in the rotation. But where did you see some growth from Frank Jackson this year with the Orleans? Yeah, I mean, this was really my, my first year kind of watching Frank up close, and I still think he's a, a really interesting player. Um, I mean, I guess he, he's still so young, too. I mean, I was kind of looking back at some of the numbers today. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, this, this dude's still like 21. He's only two years in or whatever. Um, I mean, I think, you know, he could be a key piece for them as far as like point of attack defense goes. That was an area – they kind of struggled in outside of Drew Holiday. Um, I, I still think he's a really interesting player. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how he can improve in the playmaking department to see if that three-point shot becomes a little more reliable. But, I mean, I think Frank is kind of like Melly in the way that, like, he's about all the right things. Like, he's going to, you know, ha have a great attitude day in and day out. Like, he's, he's one of those cultured guys, I guess you could say. How much do you think his confidence was kind of what swung the way he played? There was a game, I forget where it was, I, it was on the road where he took a shot from the corner, hit the ball hit the side of the backboard, and he literally like kneeled down, I'm not sure if you were at this game, kind of put his head down on the court, it was during a break in play. I don't think it was something that you could see on TV, but if you were there, it was just one of those things where I just felt for him, but it just seemed like um, that his confidence was a, was a huge factor of of, of how he played and it seemed like that came up later in the season yeah I, I think that's a good point I mean you you could see when he had that swagger in his step and and he did a, a couple of those games in the bubble I mean he's he's really athletic for you know a, a six three point guard um, you know he he can kind of uh, beast people at the rim every once in a while yeah. so yeah I think that's a huge thing for him I mean <laughs> the outside shot is so much of it is is just tied to confidence. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a really big thing for him. You know, the, the second half, obviously you came in this season, you didn't see what was his rookie year. He missed what would have been his rookie year with the injury. Then last season, uh, which feels like about six years ago, he played a lot at the, in the second half of that season after we had some, how do I put this, controversy happen in New Orleans with trade <laughs> demands and such. But he, you know, I wasn't he, aware anything happened. Uh, yeah, <laughs> last season in New Orleans, you were so locked in and ton yeah. <laughs> you had so much tunnel vision with what you were covering at the time. We'll we'll explain to you later what happened. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Tell me but, off the air. But anyway, right. Exactly. But anyways, um, he played. He had a nice stretch in that second half of the season, and then it seemed like, you know, obviously at the, the very end of this season was his best stretch as well. Um, but from what you saw of him, how much did your perception change of him? or confidence in him going forward based on the way he played in Orlando in, the, in those bubble games? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a little bit. Um, you know, it, it was definitely encouraging. Um, you know, I'm, I'm honestly in the, in the camp of, like, the, I don't think, you know, those games after they got eliminated, like, I don't, I don't take too much from that. You know, I, you know, I, I try not to take too much from, like, preseason or, or exhibition games or anything like that. But, I mean, I still think Frank is a really interesting player. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a pretty good chance he, he is a part of this moving forward. I mean, I think, you know, just, just the attitude he brings day in and day out is, is something that is appreciated by, by coaches and people in the front office. Um, and shout out to his clothing, his clothing brand too. I mean, every, everyone on the team. 
was yeah, the uh, Rock and Rare Roses. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it Daniel, like do you bit, have one? I, I do not. You know, I guess I'm not, you know, this is what I wear every day, just a polo. So maybe I need to get Frank and, and send us some some gear that we can wear on the podcast. It can be a sponsor or something. Do you think I'd look good in any of his clothing? I don't know if that's the case. I would love to see you try to pull off Frank Jackson outfits, like a side-by-side of, of Daniel Salerson and Frank, you know, wearing like skinny jeans, a tank top, and a, and a Rare Roses trucker hat. I think due to quarantine, I cannot fit in any skinny jeans, <laughs> nor do I own a pair. Uh, and even without a quarantine, I don't think I would fit in the pair of skinny jeans. But, you know, we've seen some strange things happen these last few months. So maybe, maybe that's something we'll have to try here in, in just a couple of weeks. Um, I do, before I let you go, a couple of things. Um, we talk about the youth of this team. We talk about how young Frank Jackson is. We had Joel Myers on yesterday talking about Nikhil. And Jackson Hayes, it's Nikhil's birthday today, along with Brandon Ingram. We look at Lonzo Ball, all these guys, 22, 21 years old. When you're evaluating talent and trying to figure out the ceiling for some of these guys or for, like, Frank Jackson's potential, how much do you have to factor in their youth as far as evaluating them on whether, you know, they're fit, you know, have a big role with an NBA team or someone that maybe is going to be going bouncing from team to team? How do you try to balance a team like the Pelicans who are trying to move forward and win some games and make a big impact in the playoffs, but also keep in mind that some of these guys, it's going to take a couple of years for them to develop like a Frank Jackson. Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, guys just develop at their own rates and, and so much of it is dependent on situation. I mean, you saw Brandon Ingram, it was just really tough for him because of everything going on in LA and this was, a perfect situation for him and he, and he thrived. I mean, I think, you know, you, you want to see you know, whoever the Pelicans decide to bring in as head coach, what these guys, you know, look in that look like in that system, if their potential fits and, and whatever the head coach is trying to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the NBA a lot, especially, you know, the guys who fill out like the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth spots in your rotation. I mean, a lot of those guys, you know, aren't productive, you know, valuable NBA players until their second contract. I mean, it just takes some of these guys until they're 26, 27 years old to, to really contribute in the positive way. Do you feel like this is not a more Pelicans question, but just an NBA question in general. Do you feel like teams are a lot more impatient with guys, guys that maybe they draft early on in the first round or guys that draft young that maybe they don't give them enough chance to develop and expect them to, you know, be productive right away. And if not, they pass them along. Is that, kind of a problem with teams that, you know, don't really focus on the development standpoint and that, you know, kind of not hurts the player, but it hinders them as far as, you know, finding a different place and having to start all over again. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I look at a a team that I covered the Nuggets, like one of the luxuries they have, I mean, they're good right now. So like they can give a lot of these guys, they take chances on and draft in the second round, like enough time to, to really develop like Michael Porter Jr. Like, they were one of the few teams who had the luxury of just saying like, all right, man, we're just going to sit you on the bench for the first year and a half of your career, allow you to get right physically. And now, you know, he looks fantastic. I think a lot of teams, especially, you know, in the lottery, they don't have that luxury because like they're trying to put fans in the stands right now. And they're trying to show their fan base at least something. Um, So, you know, the Pelicans have a lot of talent. Um, I mean, maybe, they, they could be a team where, like, you know, you just you just take chances, especially on guys, you know, late in the first round, in the second round or whatever, and, and give them the time they need. But, yeah, it's just uh, 
very dependent on situation. Yeah, you know, I think one thing I'll throw in too is um, specific to the Pelicans this year is based on all the different circumstances and the fact that obviously there was a million times more hype about the draft last year than there is this year. Um, they're all, but they're still going to add a, a first round pick this year. They're still going to add maybe a couple guys in the second round. They have three second round picks. So, I mean, sometimes you forget too that there's another wave of guys coming in and that can't because it, just from a number standpoint, that's going to affect decisions that you make on different guys as well. So, I mean, who knows? There's, there've been a lot of years, I think, where you think that certain players are going to come back, but then you add different guys in the draft and it just changes the whole equation and it changes the, the, the way that the roster is comprised. So that's one thing that I'm interested to see too, is what effect does the draft come up? I, I guess it's supposed to be October 16th. I haven't heard if, if they're, I know that they've talked about changing it, moving it back, but, um, but it, it'll be interesting to see what, how that factors into what, what they do with the roster. Yeah. And kind of to the point I was making, I mean, the Pelicans have the 13th pick, I think, a lot of teams in the lottery, like they're going to need whoever they draft to be like, they're going to have to slap them on the billboards and try to sell season tickets with them. Like whoever the Pelicans draft is not going to have to be that guy. He's yeah. not going to have that pressure to, to, you know, produce and be one of the main guys right away as is kind of what I was trying to say. Sure. Before I let you go, um, what a unique way to start off your first season covering the Pelicans as you know, this started all the way back in July with summer league, looking like a normal season for you until uh, coronavirus hit. And now we're at September 2nd and you, you barely just wrapped up your first season. Uh, what was it like for you one in the city of new Orleans, just uh, a different place for you um, to live. And what was it like covering this team? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it couldn't have been a more weird year to, to like be doing this full time. Um, it was really fun. I think new Orleans is a great fit for me. Um, I love eating, uh, you know, I love, you know, music. I live pretty close to, to Frenchman Street. So, like, the two months I got to enjoy that, uh, I really did. Um, it was great, but I'm ready to go back to normal. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm going crazy just sitting in my apartment all day. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, Daniel. I think we're all ready here as we're all on this, on this Zoom account count here and I think everyone's just trying to get back to normal maybe we will be for next season maybe we'll actually get to see you in purpose uh, in person one of these days I'm not sure when that'll be but Christian you did a great job covering the team for the Times Picayune and Advocate I encourage you all to read his work and follow him on Twitter how can folks follow you on Twitter Christian yeah I'm on Twitter at uh, cclark3000 and you could read my stuff on noel.com and uh, you can also that's where you'll find your peanut butter melee time tweets <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you'll probably find one after this podcast is posted later on today. Christian, I really appreciate the time, my friend. Hopefully we'll see you soon and keep up the great work. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Pelicans podcast by SeatGeek. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow with Antonio Daniels as we focus in on Monza Ball. For Jim and Christian, I'm Daniel. Have a great rest of your day.